Hello and welcome to the Swift the SBS podcast. Restrictions across the country have made life a little harder for most. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore, like the new Japan-inspired Mukuri Islands, my personal favorite, and the UCI World Championship courses. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Bonjour, bonjour and buenas tardes. It's of course uh, time to talk about the Vuelta in the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to this podcast on our website sbs.com.au slash central, or you can log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Uh, joining me today is Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm pretty good. I, I even pressed a shirt. I know, I'm, I'm impressed. Special, this is a special <laughs> one, this one, so uh, I'm ready to go. It's a special uh, podcast and vodcast because because, of course, yesterday was the rest day and uh, racing will resume tonight on SBS. We'll talk about this. But we thought because it's the rest day, because there was no racing yesterday, we'll have a bit of a special podcast with a special friend today. So joining us is... Hi, guys. This is Kunukot from Team Argo Shimano. You're watching Cycling Central on SBS. Kunukot, here's the real one. How are you, Kun? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. That's, uh, that's just a nice introduction. It's a little while ago. <laughs> a I little while? Say, that's, that is from deep within the archives. Where did you, was that on a VHS cassette? Or yeah, what? I have my special Kundekort collection on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> this is not weird. This is not weird. It's <laughs> very weird. How are you, Kun? We've heard a lot of news about you over the season. We'll talk about all this. But I mean, the first question we want to ask you is simple. How are you? Yes, I'm actually uh, I'm actually very uh, really good now. It's uh, it's obviously been a bit of a hard time. I'm sure we'll get into that, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good now. Starting my new job, not, not as a cyclist anymore, but you know, looking after cyclists more. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm enjoying the the new life at the moment. It's been a a very quick transition for you, Kun, hasn't it? And um, I guess obviously not wasn't expected. Um, Let's go back a step or a couple of steps. I guess one question I, I suppose you can tell us now, if nothing had changed and, and your injury, you hadn't had that injury, would it have been your last season this year? Was that the sort of plan that you were going to wrap it up this year or were you thinking, I'll oh, maybe go around 12 months more? No, I was definitely sure that uh, I, I wanted to retire at the end of the season. Uh, it, it kind of started uh, in uh, in the COVID season, so to say, where you know I I felt like I trained really hard. We were not allowed to go outside because I was living uh, in Andorra, and uh, I was only allowed to train indoors. But I trained really hard indoors, and I thought I was going to be in really good shape. I started racing, and I just I just didn't feel good, and you know I, I was I wasn't I was terrible. I was getting dropped uh, pretty much one of the first riders, so. Um, then eventually, towards the end of the season, when I actually did the Vuelta, I uh, I felt good again. But it just really took me a long time. And then to prepare for this season, I just did everything right. Um, and then when I started racing, just before I started racing, I got a little bit sick, and it just threw me back so much that you know I didn't feel very good again. Um, uh, and I felt like I lost way too much too quick from just not being able to train for a few days. So. You know, I, I felt like uh, my body was just telling me that maybe it's time to, to do something else. So in my head, I'd already taken a decision to retire. 
Okay. And then can we talk about the accident? What what actually happened to you? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I just uh, had my, my little break. You know, I, I raced until the Dutch National Championships. I did the Giro. Um, and then uh, after that, I just had like a little break. So it meant just a few hours of training a day, just pretty easy. Um, so I trained in the morning and then I went with a, with a couple of friends of mine. Um, each in our in our own uh, buggy, like a, a, one of those off-road vehicles um, in the mountains in Andorra. And we were just going to go to lunch, just a, just an, an easy kind of drive. Like we wanted to go to lunch in the ski lodge that you know you can't you can't get by a normal car. So you either need to hike there or or with an off-road vehicle. And um, and we were going on this on this path, and suddenly like the the, the underground changed a little bit and and uh, and unfortunately the buggy rolled over and for some reason because uh, I, I can't really remember it, it goes really quick right it's almost like like a, a bicycle crash you know you, you yeah. see like oh this is going wrong and the next moment you know I'm upside down and uh, and uh, and I wanted to unclip myself from from the seat belt but but I couldn't I looked at my hand and I was like oh wow that, that doesn't look good at all so I panicked a bit um and and my my friend from one of the other buggies came running down and and uh and got me out of the buggy and you know then um yeah it just it just looked really bad my hand was, was terrible as there was just like fingers everywhere so it wasn't uh, it wasn't good they took me to the hospital and um they yeah, came to the conclusion that they uh they uh had to take uh, three fingers off so they had to amputate three fingers and and a little part of my hand as well so um yeah that's uh that was suddenly uh career over it's it's a crazy story corn it's uh you know we i thank you firstly that you you're happy to yeah. talk about it but um yeah it's it's does it i mean obviously for you i guess part of the sort of emotional therapy is to be able to talk about it and you've you're such a sort of easygoing guy and i guess that helps your demeanor but um yeah do every every now and then you sort of wake up and go you know what actually happened it's it's crazy you, you weren't doing anything stupid like you said you were just going for lunch it's it's yeah. an out there story isn't it yeah absolutely it it was uh it, it was it was hard and especially the first sort of two weeks when i was in hospital because in total i was in hospital for a about two and a half weeks in in Spain. They they flew me to to Barcelona in a helicopter and uh, and I was there for two and a half weeks and yeah it was it was hard. Um, especially the first few days, I really couldn't even think about it. I I was just listening to podcasts or, or radio or you know just something to keep my mind occupied. I was listening to it twenty four hours a day. You know if I could sleep fine, if I wake up, I could straight away listen to something so I didn't have to think about it. Um, but you know, slowly, you know, start to, to to think about how different it could have been as well. You know, I, I think I was extremely unlucky in the way that it happened. But I mean, I, I'm still here now. Uh, I still have two fingers on my right hand. I could have lost the entire hand. I, especially with having my thumb and index finger left, it's it's the two most important fingers. So, you know, I, I found out uh, already in hospital, and and even more now over the last few weeks that. I can basically still do everything. I mean, you'd rather have five fingers on a hand, of course, but you know, with with the thumb and index, you can still do quite a lot. Of, if not everything, you just have to adapt. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That, that's, that's, that's awesome, actually. It's but you know what, Kun? We don't want to dwell too much on this because yeah. this is not why we're here. You know, we're not a, how do you call it? Uh, uh, a, fish, a fish and chips paper. No, no, yeah, exactly. We're not, we're not we are way better than a fish and chip paper. No, let's get so, into the good stuff. What we want to do is actually talk to you about your career, what you've been through. Because you've been here. I mean, don't mind me if I say this, but you've been here forever. You know, you've been yeah. here a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you I've put, been you've seen, you've for seen, a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you've, you've seen you've seen the world of cycling changing a lot. Uh, let's start maybe with just fashion. Uh, this is you uh, in in your early days, like sunglasses. I guess the mullet yeah. is still a bit here, but you've seen so much happening. Yes, absolutely. Um, actually, that, that was uh, that was a fun time. This uh, this Argos. Uh, I think that was the year that actually I uh, I had to get this undercut from uh, from Marcel Kittel because. I think I think it was actually your your video that that caused it. I, th I actually think it was that one because um, I think at, at the interview I said um, because someone even asked like, about our hairdos etc on the team and um, and I was explaining it a little bit and I and I said like I and one's got like an undercut or whatever he wants to call it um, so you know I, I meant uh, Marcel and uh, and Marcel Kittel actually some reason watched the video i don't i don't even know how he found it or whatever but he watched the video so <laughs> that night he came into my room and he said uh, what what do you mean like an undercut or something um, i'm sure one day you're gonna have one uh as such there's no way there's no way you're gonna you're gonna get me to to get to get an undercut and then he said what well, what if i win a stage and i said well you know if you win three now we can talk about it and, and obviously <laughs> he, he won four so <laughs> I had to. I had and to. you thought you were safe. You went, if yeah. I say three, there's zero chance we're going to win three. Exactly. Jeepers. But yeah. let, let's look at just a, a, a piece of footage with you and Marcel Kittel, and we'll talk about your relationship with him. Just, this is you and Marcel Kittel. Yeah. 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 Good job, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Good. Yeah. Good. 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 I'm sure you look at this with a smile on your face. Those were good time with Marcel in that team. Yeah, exactly. I think he just said at the end, "Say goodbye to your mullet." I think. I think that's <laughs> at the end, didn't he? I'm know. not sure. <laughs> but that's uh, they're, they're memories that um, you know. I'm sure you're not a guy. You're pretty humble. You you know you won't rehash stuff much, but. Those, those finish line memories, I mean, it gives me goosebumps because I've been lucky enough to cover you and a lot of the, the world's best riders the last 10, 15 years. You can't take that finish line stuff away, can you? No, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously, I haven't won a, a lot of races myself. I, I was always there supporting others and, you know, trying to make sure others would win and, and really... Uh, really enjoying that and and taking a lot of pride in it and you know these these are the moments especially you know if he he didn't even know for sure that he that he won so I was there the moment that he actually won the race so to say you know and uh, and these these are the moments that I will definitely keep with me forever. And, and do you see now when you? go across your career and then we will go through your career and then not giving away a, a lot right now but do you think that towards the end uh, of your career there's a bit less innocence in the winning this this seems to be 
really straight from the, the from from the heart from the heart. This is less geared with the media or showing off this sort of thing. This is really two guys are celebrating, and you don't care how many cameras are around you. No, absolutely, especially this time. I mean, we we spent so much time together. We were we were a super close team with 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 everyone in that in that team in that lead out train for sure. So I mean, um, we. We, we just loved uh, racing. We loved, uh, you know, racing together and, and, and really going all out just for, for the one person, you know, it was, it was true teamwork, I, I believe. So, you know, whatever, whatever happened, you know, um, we, we were there and, and we were racing for each other and yeah, yeah. Whether there was, it was one camera, zero cameras or, or 25, it, it really didn't matter. Yeah. That, that skill Shimano, Shimano Argos or school Argos days. I mean, you look back at it now and even still, like even I forgot, I've saw some vision, Tom Dumoulin, John Degenkolb, yourself, Marcel, and there's a few other riders, you know, that, that aren't broadly, more broadly known to the cycling fan base, but it was a pretty super team, wasn't it? Yes. No, it was, it was a, it was a great team. I think, um, uh, they, the the management did really well to to sort of get that team together and uh, it, it was really the start of that team getting a lot of good uh, really good talents which you know that they, they they still do at the moment um but uh, but at that time it was it was really uh, about building a, a proper team and and for me i was also looking after like i didn't have great years uh with with astana and liberty seguros before um, I was really looking for a team, you know, where where I would enjoy racing again, and really a team where we would all work together. And and their idea was we're we're going to to make the best sprint train in the world, and um, and I, and I think we we did achieve that for for a few years there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we go back as well to uh, a bit further along in, in your career, there's of course uh, you've done many Tour de France, many Grand Tours. I can't remember eighteen. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's 18, a hell of 17, a lot. Yeah. eighteen, seventeen. Eighteen, seventeen. How yeah, many Grand 18, Tours? Eighteen, eighteen, seventeen. Finished. Uh, wow. Seventeen finished. Yeah. But uh, reaching Paris, uh, it's always something special, I guess, compared to the other Grand Tour. Is it is it different as well from from the rider? Like, let's see some footage here of of you finishing uh, uh, the, the in Paris as well. What does that mean for a rider when you look back now, thinking, yeah, you finished so many Tour de France? Yes, uh, these are great images you guys found. Actually, that's that's really good. Um, yeah, it's it is uh, it is different. I mean, it, 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 I think it's the closest we can get to, to uh, being in a stadium. You know, like uh, like like most other team sports, uh, it, it almost feels like a, a, a football player or, or a soccer player or something. You know, you, we we enter on on the, on the Champs Elysees and there's just so much noise and and it's and and it just feels like history it's got almost that Perubay feeling you know where you're there and and you 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 feel history and and I I, I always had the same thing there it just it just every single time just gave me goosebumps just you know going past the finish line and and all these grandstands there and there's just so much noise it it just feels um feels almost surreal it's it's something super special Gee, I think can we let's just chop cut. That'll do. <laughs> no, You've no, said enough. We, we've got we got so many other footage to show you. Uh, 
before we, we carry on, your views on Dutch cycling right now, when you have someone like Mathieu van der Poel uh, that is battling out with the greatest, we keep on talking about Mathieu van der Poel being the next big thing with, of course, Belgium, Van Aert. Uh, we get your view on, on, on how this new generation is going and Mathieu van der Poel himself. What do you think of the, this new generation? Yeah, I mean they they seem just incredibly strong, you know. They it, it's it's nice to see. I think it's going to be uh, some great some great years for for TV viewers. And this the, it just doesn't really stop with the with the young riders, does it? Does it? I mean, you've got Pitcock as well, which is just one one of those extreme talents as well. So so many all coming at the same time. I think it's going to be great great to watch on TV. But is it something in the peloton that you guys are, I'm going to, like, don't mind me, but the oldies, we're talking about going, hey, whoa, okay, these guys are coming. There's definitely a page turning. This is going to be tough for us. And they're going to make it tough for us in the next couple of years. Was, was that a yeah. chat in the peloton as well? Yes, absolutely. I, th I think uh, a lot of guys had a bit of the feeling that it had to do uh, with, the, with the COVID season. And, and I, I feel that that way as well, where... Um, you know, where we couldn't race for so long and, and a lot of guys couldn't even train properly uh, like me where I wasn't allowed to go outside and some people just had these, these, these five kilometer um, fr from, your, from their house uh, thing so that you, know, you can't really train if you have to stay five kilometers within your house then it's mostly indoor training anyway. So I think, uh, I think that made, that made the, the change over uh, uh, much quicker. So... I started racing again, but most of the, old, the older guys struggled a lot um, the COVID season, uh, so last season. And now this year, uh, some of the older guys are, are getting back on top, but, but I think the, the younger generation has taken a step and, and uh, yeah, we can't catch them anymore. Yeah, you can't catch them. And then there's the really older guy, Alejandro Valverde. Yeah, we like, still here. Yeah, he's, 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 sign, he's about to sign another three-year contract. He's, um, he's Benjamin Button. Yeah, yeah. He goes this way. It's insane. Um, we talk about that super team of, of Skill Shimano and, and the guys that we mentioned, but they weren't the only stars that you've ridden alongside and, and really been the pilot for, not just sprint trains. Alberto Contador, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, and even Richie Port. I mean, what can you tell us about these sort of guys, these GC guys, where you actually began to play a role in, and speci specifically Contador. If you start with Contador, yes, no, absolutely. I kind of have to start with Contador because that's that's pretty much where it started uh, for me to, to start working with more with these uh, with these GC guys because uh, it, it really it really was like that. Um, and I, I did I did some races already with Contador uh, earlier on in the season, and um, and uh, you know where I was doing the leadouts for for John. Uh, for John Degenkolb and uh, then you know he, at one race he just said to me uh, look you can you can ride around with with the sprinter on your wheel and you know just look after the sprinter all stage um, and then do the lead out uh, I want you to do the same for me um, so he said I just want you to ride next to me or in front of me the whole day um, and uh, until the finish line or until you get dropped on the mountains but otherwise you're going to stay with me always and you know it, it kind of just started from there some days um we wanted someone in the breakaway so everybody had to try to get in the breakaway except for me i had to just save it Alberto, keep him out of the wind um make sure he was safe uh, or, or you know if something needed to be done if someone needed to get some bottles uh, i wasn't even allowed to get bottles but i had to tell 
someone to get bottles for Alberto. So like I was really just uh, the the bodyguard there for him, and and I think that's where it started. And when once I started to get into uh, into teams with other GC guys, I, I think they they realized that you know what I could do for Alberto. They they wanted to, a little bit of as well. So then I, I started doing the same thing for them. How, how cool is that? I like it. On on one sense, you're like, damn, I can't try and get in the break, chase some glory. But then you're allowed to order some of your other teammates to get down the bloody back yeah. and get some bins. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm, I'm busy here looking after the king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, exactly. that is, that's pretty cool. Did you, you must have, um, you, yeah, you must have taken that as a real, um, well, obviously as a bit of pride that Alberto actually came to you and said, listen, I want you to help me. Yes, for sure. I mean, that, that's obviously really great. Uh, I, I know Alberto already for a long time because we actually raced together already in Liberty Seguros in, in my first year. So uh, we, we were both really young. Um, so so I, I knew him really well. So it was pretty cool to be in a team with him again. Um, and um, I think, we, uh, you know, we had a pretty good connection as well, which which also helped. But, you know, it's it's it was nice to to definitely be able to to order some people around. I have to say, <laughs> and of course we all remember how uh, Contador was sent off at the Vuelta exactly, uh, and, and you were one of the guys that basically sent him off, and he was let to be alone in front of the peloton to do the first lap in a, in Madrid, I believe. How, how was that moment in the team? There must have been a certain level of, of pride in the whole team. And for yourself, being the road captain of that team, sending Contador off to retirement. Yes, yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, incredible. That, that was such a, a great Vuelta as well for us. I mean, obviously, he, he won a stage as well. But just the way that we raced, it was just um, all about how, how Alberto wanted to race. And... And, and we just uh, we just did exactly that, you know, just always attacking, uh, always, uh, you know, making war, so to say, you know, we're, we're always trying, trying to do something, trying to to, to make it interesting. And uh, then that last stage, it's that's definitely up there with the, with the best memories ever where, you know, uh, indeed, we send him off for for his kind of like a, a, a send off into into retirement of the first lap. I think he was in front. Um, and then uh, after the race, we uh, we also just did a lap of honor with the whole team, with him, and you know how how big a hero he is in in Spain. It it was just really it was really incredible. It felt like all these people were there just for us. Uh, one of those goosebump moments again. And you know, then I think he had to go to the podium or something like that. So we were in the in in the bus and. Yeah, at one point, we actually went and sat on top of the bus because there was just hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe even thousands. I can't even remember. There was so many people just all around the bus just waiting for Alberto to show up. And we were sitting on top of the bus just like looking at it all. And I go, this is, this is just unreal. <laughs> That's about as close as you'll ever get to being a rock star. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, or real Madrid player. But that's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 One or the other. Yeah. Uh, now, Richie, because you, you, you in the last few years were with, uh, with Richie Paul before he, he moved on to, uh, to new, uh, new skies, I should say, uh, mm -hmm. for a bad, uh, a bad, a bad uh, play on words. But uh, how was the relationship uh, with Richie? Uh, and because Richie took over a bit of a, the, the, the leader role from Contador, uh, and for you, you kept your same role. So did you have to adapt much? Uh, yes, a, a little bit. I mean, Richie, Richie is definitely a different kind of rider to Alberto. Um, he, he, I definitely had to, uh, to to adapt a little bit. He, I have to actually 
watch out a little bit more. Alberto was a little bit um, easier to go through the bunch with. So, you know, with, with Richie, um, I had to really think about that a little bit more, but uh, it only took a few races for me to adapt to that. And uh, I, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed working with Richie as well. I mean, he's, he's a really funny guy. Um, I ended up being my, my roommate for, for most races as well. So uh, yeah, it, it was it was nice also to to have an Aussie on the team uh, like that again, and you know work with an Aussie, and then him being my roommate as well. We we had some fun times for sure. And did you ever find yourself, Kun, uh, at any stage, whether it be with Contador or even the the, the sprinter trains that you looked out for, but I guess more specifically the GC guys, where Richie or, or Alberto, they'd lose your wheel. And you get frustrated and turn around and say, come on, get on, for God's sake. Like, did you have to ever, I mean, you know, you know what it's like, that that tension in the peloton at times. And it's only normal that the best of riders uh, get frustrated at times. How did you sort of manage those situations? Yes, I mean, I, I really don't care what, what people say to me in races. I think, I mean, in races, in races, and it's just super important. Everybody... Uh, everybody is just uh, very much on edge. So uh, I mean, with, with Alberto, he could obviously also sometimes get frustrated, but it, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. With, with Richie, it's a bit of a different story. He, um, if, if Richie was frustrated, you hear about it. Um, <laughs> but but you know, I, I'm I'm okay with that. Normally, you would even say sorry or something after the race. But 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 for me, he didn't even really need to do that. I, I understand how much pressure is is on him and and uh, how much that affects him and, and if he gets frustrated and, and yells at me uh, I, I really don't care i mean if we're if we're friends after the after the race that's that's good enough for me if, if he gets frustrated with me in the race that's just part of the game do you do you uh when I, we went through very rapidly in 25 minutes through through your career but do you sit now able to sit down pinch yourself and realize what the little Kuhn de Court age five six when you first grab your bike, what that little kid has been able to achieve? Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's really un, un, unbelievable in that regard for me. Uh, as a Dutch as a Dutch boy, obviously I started riding my bike before I could walk it almost, and um, you know uh, watching always Tour de France on TV because that's that's just what you do, I guess, growing up in the Netherlands, um, as you would probably know. Um, but uh, then, you know, uh, I, I watched the Tour de France pass my parents' house in, in 1996 when the start was in Sedogenbosch. Uh, and, and from that moment, I thought, wow, this is actually a cool sport. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're like, a, I think I was like a 14, 13, 14-year-old boy at the moment, you dream about being in the Tour de France and, you know, uh, riding around the Champs-Élysées. Um, and then a little bit later on, like, you know, doing Paris-Roubaix, stuff like that. It's a dream about being able to do that and, you know, having be able to make a real career out of it and, and you know, speaking to you guys about what I've done now, it's, 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 it's a lot more than I could have ever expected or I could ever even hope for. Okay, Felix, I saw the Tour de France past my parents' house when I was a kid, but I took the direction of the press buffet. <laughs> I didn't go for riding, I went you for the press. <laughs> didn't you think, didn't you think, no, no, gee, I want to be in the Tour de France? Yeah. And then you <laughs> rode up your, your town's hill and went, no, I don't. No, no, but, and I saw, yeah, I saw a bakery and went, press buffet. <laughs> hey, um, Christoph asked me before we came on air today, he said, I'm a little bit surprised. He said, I thought Kun might have gone into, and we're talking right now, present day, um, you might have gone into being a director sportif or, or a team manager. 
So tell us, tell us now what your role is and how it has become that. And I guess nothing is forever, so this could be just a stepping stone for you. But tell us about what what your role is now at Trek Segafredo. Yes, of course. Uh, you know, in my what we just spoke about during my career, where I went from just you know being a, a guy trying to get his own results uh, into someone who's doing sprint leadouts, and then um, into like looking after GC guys. So I felt like um, I was, especially towards the end, um, guiding. Uh, other riders and making sure riders were working well together. So kind of like a, a, a management role, uh, as it were, in, in cycling. So um, with with that in mind, I I started studying um, a sports management course, a master of sport management, which I nearly finished now. Um, and, and with that, I thought maybe it's going to be interesting to do something in the management of a cycling team. So I mean, obviously, uh, being manager of a cycling team, uh, that, that would be something maybe that, that would be great for the future. But um, I, I felt like, I, I first of all, even if that opportunity came about, I wasn't ready for that. But um, I got offered now um, the role with the team to, to be in charge of all, all the equipment. So it's called the uh, team support manager. That's just the, the title of the role that they, they gave me. But what it what it essentially means is that um, uh, I I talk to track to SRAM to all the other equipment sponsors and uh, make sure that we have the right amount of, of equipment from them the right amount of frames the right amount of group sets the right amount of wheels etc um, and they want from me that uh, because we are a track factory racing team that you know we help developing their equipment so I need to also set up testing days, um, uh, wind tunnel tests, uh, error tests on the velodrome, stuff like that, um, and, and just make sure that everything works between the equipment sponsors and the team itself. Well, and it's, yeah. you know, for people who don't understand, it's well, you, you're t- there's a team of, <laughs> what, 25 riders or thereabouts. Um, there's a whole team yeah. of 60 are you, are, have you always been a bit of a you know, technical nerd, so to speak, uh, in terms of the old mechanics? Or do you actually have to, when you're a professional cyclist, to uh, be super interested in your equipment? And, and was it you as a rider? Yes, I, I always really enjoyed like looking at what 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 the new developments were, etc. But but also um, uh, part of that is also the clothing is also in my sort of uh, area. So. You know, I was always thinking about how can you um, how can you improve that, and I was one of the first riders who started to race in in the in the TT suits and the skin suits, which now almost everybody does. But I started with that uh, a long time ago, uh, early on in my career. I actually even made my own pockets out of uh, out of a, a skin suit. I have two skin suits. I made one with uh, my own pockets. I made onto it. No so, way. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, stuff like that is, is part of that as well. So I always wanted to find the edge and, and now I, I can fully focus on that and try to try to, uh, to help my, t- my teammates or, or my team to do that. Uh, and then, by the way, also, we, we have 25 uh, in the men's team, but we have the women's team as well, which you obviously can't forget. That's also part of uh, what I need to do. Wow. So, awesome. so you've, you've got to look after the women's team as well. Yes, absolutely. Luckily, we are we are two now in in the same role, so we can divide a little bit because otherwise it just wouldn't be possible with how big the women's team has become, and and how important it is the role also for the men's team. So we we can we can share uh, Glenn uh, Levin uh, the and and I we can share the role. 
There's a bit of Australia now as well, with uh, Chloe Hoskins in the team. Oh, yeah. So I you, see you still get, keep, keeping your link with Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a cool, cool victory. Hey, uh, Kun, 18 grand tours, eight tours, three Giro. You obviously didn't like the Giro, seven Vuelters. <laughs> Massive career, but I just want to, I'll just want to end on one little thing. I remember when I first met you, uh, you, may, you may remember, you might forget, um, I, was, I was part of the track cycling um, uh, competition that we're promoting in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron Kemp's another young pro at the I time, remember. was up in from Bundaberg. And I rang Kempsey and said, mate, I need you to come down and do this race. I've got no budget. I think I can, I can pay your flights and put you up in a dodgy hotel. And uh, Kempsey said, yeah, yeah, no worries, Macca. I'll come. No problems. And then he called me back and said, hey, I've got this Dutch mate staying with me. Can he come? And I said, can he ride the track? And he said, yeah. And, he, and I think he said, hang on. Hey, Kun, can you ride the track? <laughs> and you've yelled out, yeah, yeah, I can ride the track. And then he came down and I met you, Kun, and I said, and I met you, and I, I, I seriously remember this. You were that friendly, but you had this accent. And I thought, this guy's not Dutch. He's from Bundaberg or something. Where's his, where's his accent come from? And I said, mate, I'm really sorry. I can't pay you. Like, or I did. I paid you a pittance. And you said, don't worry about it, mate. No worries. I'll race. You race the track. I think it was absolutely chaos and carnage, but they were my first impressions. Good impressions. You haven't changed a bit, and uh, I think this is part of the reason you've gone as long as you yeah. have in the sport, and, it, of course, your journey isn't over. It's just starting, so well done. Thank you very much. Uh, that's actually a great memory, that one as well. That was, that was <laughs> so much fun. Uh, I, 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 I remember I, I went there, and I was like, yeah, I can race a track. I'd never race a track. It was my, my first <laughs> So now you tell track. me. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I didn't know how to race the track. I trained on it a bit, but it was, it was carnage. I think Aaron crashed and that massive crash, I think with the juniors was that it was still comes yes, around on yes, TV now right. and then where there's like 40 guys on the, uh, going down on the track. It was, it was madness. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Actually. Yeah. That was good. Hey, you stay with us just because there is actually a race uh, tonight and we're going to conclude this, this podcast. Uh, the Vuelta resumes tonight, stage 10. Uh, very quickly, uh, so you've done so many Grand Tours, so so many rest days as well in Grand Tours. Are the rest days different from the Giro to the Tour de France to the Vuelta? And how do you reset yourself for the, for the next day? Yeah, I feel it's a, it's a little different to um, uh, whatever is the next stage. So if, if there's a mountain stage uh, after the rest day, that means, you know, I had to train pretty hard in the rest day because uh, I, I always felt not, not great at the start of the, the, the stage after the rest day. So if it was a flat stage or, or even a time trial, which for me is not very important, or even if it's a mountain stage, but it's flat, the first sort of like uh, 50 to 100 kilometers, then I wouldn't really worry too much because that would give me enough time to really get into it. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, uh, rest days are always super nice, but, and it always hurts the next day. So in that regard, it didn't really <laughs> change too much. So if you look at this rest day, this stage tonight, after a rest day that we had, uh, is, there, is it going to be a stage that will hurt, do you think, or not? Um, the, the guys that are not doing a lot on the rest day, they can definitely still survive. But, uh, but it's, it's going to hurt because I think this is one of those stages that, that is going to be the fight for the breakaway for a very long time. I think it is, it is one of those typical breakaway days. Um, so I would say that it, it might take 50, 70, 80 kilometers for a breakaway to go. So every little lump that you see in the beginning that doesn't look like much, that's going to hurt a lot in the, in the peloton for sure. 
Absolutely. And then you'll see everything at that stage with this man and uh, Matthew Kinnan live on SBS. Kuhn, you've been a star all along and I'm sure you are a star just uh, on the beginning of your of your new journey. Thank you for coming in this podcast. It's always been a pleasure and you are always welcome. The door is always open here for you. Well, the door's not open in Australia yet. No, it's not. Come back <laughs> when the door is open, I'm, I'm sure opening it. Back, yeah. I'm opening it. <laughs> yeah, I, Thank I you, really Kuhn. hope I can see you guys again soon. I mean, I, I'd love to go back to Australia. As soon as you guys open the door, I'll be there. Good stuff. Cool. Thanks, mate. Thank you. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast for today. As I said, the stage live tonight on SBS Viceland on demand and, of course, on the Tour Tracker with this man and Matthew Kinnan. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank and you. Good one. So tonight live on SBS. Uh, remember, you can uh, download, stream or subscribe to this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash central or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Until next time, tomorrow, same place, same time. It's bye for now. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsors with La Vuelta is all about climbing. So why not try Geraint Thomas's athlete workout? Fun is flying uphill. A great pillar of any climbing is muscular endurance. And believe me when I say that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my mates the fitness I've been able to build at home. All you need is a bike, trainer and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Right on.